And we are back with uh, Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. No complaints. So here at Cibolo Creek, we talk a lot about and emphasize the fact that the church isn't a place. It's not a place you go to, but that it's a people, that it's you and me and other Christ followers that we do life alongside of. And you talk a lot about um, the necessary role that other people play in the Christian life. In fact, you've actually gone as far as to say that it's impossible to follow Jesus in the way that he's commanded us to alone. And in the past, you've characterized the community within the church as a redemptive community. What is a redemptive community? A redemptive community, in my mind, is a group of people who share an affinity. That's the definition of a community. The affinity in this discussion would be faith in Jesus. So a group of people gathered around a shared faith in Christ and a shared faith in the power of the gospel. Like what does a relationship with Jesus Christ allow and provide and produce in a human life? Mm -hmm. So a community of people who share a faith in Jesus Christ and what the gospel can do in them is a community through whom God can be at work to what I say or call restore what's been broken by sin. Mm-hmm. And so if you come from the premise that sin has had an impact on every human being's life and that sin has an impact on society as a whole, I think it was God's intention to um, restore much of much or all of what has been broken in human relationships and a human understanding of a relationship with him, of course. But then all of the aftermath or the backwash of sin and its consequences in our life, God wants to redeem that. He wants to restore that to places of wholeness and fulfillment and joy and peace and hope and all of those things that sin really um, jeopardizes. So through a community of people living lives together in this shared faith of the gospel, I do believe that God's using communities like that to have a powerful impact in people's lives for restoring them to the way that God had intended us to Mm -hmm. live our lives. Now, is that um, an aspect within the church? Is that the church, uh, that idea of a community, is that what the church should be? Yeah, I think overall it is the church. Mm -hmm. I've always made it a point here at Cibolo Creek, and it's amazing how much it has to be um, emphasized, not just at Cibolo, but everywhere, the church is not a building, and a church is not, you know, stained glass steeples, pews, and pulpit. Mm-hmm. A church is not a denomination. It's, it's, it's church is not an organization. The church that Jesus said, I will build, is a church that's comprised of people whose lives have been marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. So um, I think that at the end of the day, God's original design for the church was primarily to be a redemptive community, beginning with inviting people into relationship with Christ 
to where they are redeemed from a salvific standpoint. They come into relationship with Christ and receive salvation. And then just the whole work of redemption, of restoring what has been broken by sin in people's lives to, to expressions of wholeness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly what, and I'd agree, I think that's definitely what um, the church is intended to do. I mean, unfortunately, as all things that have people in them, sometimes it goes awry. Um, oh, sure. And it can do the exact opposite. But um, Oh, yeah, without a doubt, because sin also has a place in the church. Mm-hmm. because the church is comprised of people and people are sinners yeah. and we bring ourselves and our mess to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was just going to add something to your previous question is, and to connect our, our previous discussion, when you, when you start seeing church as this redemptive community, this thing that I'm a part of and that God is at work through it and doing a transformative work in my life or in the lives of other people. That suddenly yanks church out of this thing I do on Sunday mornings for an hour and 15 minutes where I go Mm -hmm. through some motions and turns it into a great adventure. Because now I'm a part of something very dynamic, something spiritually alive when I think of church as redemptive community and I'm a part of that, I'm a member of that, I'm a participant in that, and I'm, my life is being redeemed, and the lives of those around me are being redeemed, and I get this front row seat of not only witnessing it, but also being invited to be a part of it. Mm. And so suddenly then church can become a real adventurous, sort of dynamic, thriving community to be a part of, rather than... I go there for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday and we sing some songs and we say some prayers and we listen to a sermon. Mm-hmm. Suddenly church has gotten a whole lot bigger when you think of it as a redemptive community. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a really good point too because uh, without it, it, just, it loses its, I guess, meaningfulness. Uh, you don't get that sense that you're making a difference or that something's making a difference within you. Um, and it is calling you to some kind of shared mission goal that you're all cooperating in yes and i think that's a lot of the times why um i mean uh, people my age but i think everybody throughout history it's like you get these different ideologies or ideas that say something and they they call you to take action well this is bad or we need uh this to happen um and there's something like romantic about being called to go fight some evil or uh, produce some good, and the church seemingly has kind of a lot of time lost that draw. Hmm. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but yeah. But but again, if you if you go back and you look at church as a spiritual entity rather than just this, you know, corporate enterprise. Mm-hmm. If you look at it as a spiritual entity and you look at it through the lens of the scriptures and the lens of our faith, I mean, here's how the church begins. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the church that I'm creating, Jesus, the church I'm creating is going to be locked in a battle. Mm -hmm. Just like from the very inception, it's locked in this spiritual struggle and hell's going to throw everything that it's really good at, at the church, trying to thwart it, trying to stop it, trying to diminish it, weaken it, and um, 
essentially dissolve it. That means that's what hell would love to see is yeah. this community of Christians completely dissolve. And so, I mean, just from the inception of the church, you have this kind of battle theme, like you're locked mm-hmm. in some higher calling, some higher um, effort, some higher th- uh, adventure. Mm-hmm. Like, and then, then you have language of, you know, spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter six, you know, these are very real struggles on a spiritual plane of life that, again, if you, if you just think of church as this thing I go to, you're probably not paying much attention to the really vivid dynamics of the spiritual battle that rages all around us every day. And Christians are immersed in that, and we have a decision. Am I going to be clueless to it and sort of live with my head in the sand about it, or Am I going to be very alert to the fact that we have an enemy, that enemy is engaged in trying to destroy our connection to Christ and the, you know, the effectiveness of our faith? And when you look at it from that perspective, it's very much, it's a battle and we're engaged in it. And it takes, you know, all of the spiritual resources at our disposal to Mm -hmm. prevail through it. Well, again, now you're talking like a whole different perspective and how you look at the christian life and i think that can be that can be kind of life-giving i i certainly don't want to create this sense of fear like there's you know and i've heard of you know these kinds of attitudes like there's a demon behind every door no I'm, i'm not i'm not portraying it that way i'm just saying that christ the writers of the new testament they did talk about the spiritual battle taking place around us in which our lives are impacted by that and we as christ followers we have a responsibility to be alert and be aware too of Mm -hmm. it and engage our faith in the face of it and when you start living in those kinds of realities again i think it changes the dynamic of how you experience your spiritual journey oh absolutely i think it changes a lot even how you see yourself and um, kind of going off that point, it's like something that uh, Christianity, I think, is, it sets itself above all the rest of the ideas or whatever other mission or goal that society might come up with. Um, it, it doesn't say, hey, the bad guy is out there. Let's go get him. It says, hey, there is a bad guy out there, but it's also there's also a bad guy in you to some degree. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like, sin's also in you. It's like, I think Alexandra Solzhenitsyn said, uh, the line between good and evil runs down every human heart. And so, and like Cain, Cain and Abel, it's like, God tells Cain, well, there, sin was waiting at your door and you let him inside. It's like, well, there might not be a literal demon, but every decision you have, I guess, the opportunity to push it one way or the other. Um towards darkness, towards light. And so it is, yeah, no, you're right. It does make it much more, um, I guess, drawing. It gives more meaning to what Christ called us to than just, well, go learn some things, sit for an hour and a half and sing. Yeah, when, when you're a part of a redemptive community, like you're you're endeavoring to participate in your church on that level, then suddenly coming to church, going to a service or other events, it isn't just about collecting content. Mm -hmm. It is really about equipping 
yourself and equipping the body of Christ to be able to to be vessels of that redemptive work that mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's hoping to accomplish through his people. And so, I, again, just coming back to, I guess I've probably said it five times now, it's, <laughs> it just raises the level of intensity around which we understand our spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't even think saying it a lot of times is a bad thing because I don't think, I don't even see it that way. Okay, I have to consciously remind myself, hey, this is actually more serious and intense, not in a bad way, but like yeah. there's more responsibility than you hold that you hold um, than what you might think about day to day. So I guess just kind of people my age, and I think increasingly more um, with everyone, the, spiritual things have become very personal. There's a the whole age of, well, if, if that works for you, great, or whatever makes you happy, um, and don't impose that on me, uh, even just talking about it. I was like, well, I wasn't. We were just talking. Um, but they'd, there'd be a lot of people who would push back. In fact, I've had some friends who would push back uh, and say that your faith can and, and maybe even should be done somewhat privately. Um, what, what makes you say that it's necessary to be done in a community of people all pointed to it at the same thing. Yeah. I, I think you're right. There is a trend and there are probably a number of different social factors that contribute to it, but there is this trend that my my faith, my relationship with God, my my pursuit of Jesus, well that's personal and private and I sort of just tend to that myself and I don't really invite anybody else into that. And again, there's a host of factors why people want to keep that private and personal, but um, the reason why I don't believe that it can be solely private is that from what I can tell in how God designed human beings to work spiritually, he designed it to work in the community of relationships. Mm. So I'm a big fan of design, a big fan of design and purpose. And I think God always moves with purpose. He never just, you know, does stuff to do stuff. He always has a purpose. We could even say he always has a redemptive purpose. So he's Mm. always working toward the redemptive game plan. And he always works in design. He's a designer. He's a creator. And so he designs whatever he creates. It has purpose. So if you look at... Uh, the scriptures from a perspective of design, what you see is there was a design for marriage. There was a design for family. There's a design for sexuality. There's a design for money. There's a design for labor or work. There's a design for recreation and rest. There's a design for relationships and how they thrive. There's a design for like society as a whole. Mm -hmm. And, My perspective on that is the more we honor God's original design for whatever it is that we're talking about, the greater the returns or the more beneficial rewarding the experience. So um, here's just an illustration. We we all have a refrigerator. Mm -hmm. A refrigerator was designed to work a certain way. It's designed to keep food fresh for a certain amount of time. 
And as long as you put food in there, it will work according to its design. Now, it probably would not work as well if you were using it as like a habitat for penguins. Yeah. Not sure that <laughs> it would maintain or sustain the life and the needs of a penguin community in a refrigerator. And it would smell It horrible. would smell horribly. It would be really difficult to clean. It may not meet all of the needs of space and uses that a penguin community needs. So, in other words, it wasn't designed to be a habitat for penguins. It was designed to keep food fresh. So, uh -huh. if you use it to keep food fresh, it will work well for you. Yeah. If you use it to try to raise penguins, it's probably not going to work as well. Yeah, probably not. Um, somebody designed heated seats, and they're awesome. A long day on the ski slopes, you get in the car, you turn on the heated seats, that's awesome. Or a cold commute to work, get heated seats, that's work. That's great. But if you use heated seats to try to bake brownies, it's not going to work. Yeah, probably not. No, uh, The brownies aren't going to work. The seat's going to get ruined. It, it's, it wasn't intended to be used for that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I agree. Okay, so now take everything that we see designed in Scripture. Uh, family has a design. Marriage has a design. Sexuality has a design. Money has a design. Work has a design. Relationships have design. Society has design. And so the better we are at using those things in keeping with their design, the better they work. Okay. Okay, you get the principle? Mm -hmm. So here's what I'm suggesting, is that when God created a design for spiritual growth and vitality part of the design was the input and participation of others okay now there are some private sides to spiritual journey mm -hmm. spending time alone with god reading and studying the scriptures by yourself prayer can often be enjoyed as a alone experience um sabbath can be a time of aloneness and being quiet. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that it can it only works in community. I'm just saying that it is part community is a part of the design. So a life that's lived independent of any kind of community isn't going to experience all that spiritual journey was intended to provide us. Okay. Gotcha. And so it's interesting if you'll give me a few minutes. Yeah. It's actually, it's, it's born in the fabric of how God designed human beings. So you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. God creates the universe, first six days of creation, first five days of creation. His evaluation is, it was good. It was good. It was good. He creates the first man. It was very good. And then in Genesis chapter 2, um, verse 18, God makes his first negative appraisal of what he's created. Mm. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, 18. So there was something about this human in his aloneness that God said, no, this, this isn't good. Everything else has been good. This isn't good. Mm. And unfortunately, we read that from the perspective of male. Yeah. And 
the even greater un- or more unfortunate thing about that is we read it post Genesis chapter 3 21st century stereotypes and history about what we think of male and men mm-hmm. and so we think oh it was not good for the man to be alone because he would be undisciplined or irresponsible or incapable but the problem is the fall hadn't happened yet yeah so god had created adam and adam was completely capable completely sufficient completely able to do all that god had designed him to do so this aloneness factor wasn't because of some lack in his life when it came to capability or Mm. sufficiency so then God creates the woman, and he says, I will make a helper suitable for him, the man. And again, we often read back post-fall stereotypical and you know discriminatory ideas of the woman. And so we're going, oh, oh, oh. So it was not good for the man to be alone because, like, who, who, who would pick up his socks? Or who would give him instructions when he gets lost, you know, on the highway uh-huh. in the strange city? Or... Or, or who was going to meet his sexual needs. And that is that is not even a part of the picture. That's yeah. all post-fall sort of um, deconstruction. Mm. And so, or really post-fall destruction. And so when you look at Genesis 2, he creates the woman because she's going to be the perfect complement to what it is about the man that God hadn't created in him. Mm as a reflection of the image of God in human beings because, you know, God created human beings, male and female, he created them in his image. Yeah. So I believe that men, male, captures everything that God intended male to reflect about his image, but I think that God created woman and there's dimensions of God's image that you see in a woman that you can't find in a man. Mm-hmm. So together, together, she helps him fill out the fuller expression of all that was encompassed in the image of God in human beings. Okay, yeah. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. And, and then, then the beauty of it is he brings them together in marriage. The two shall become one, meaning they are now going to be the perfect reflection of all that God intended for his image to demonstrate or to to be revealed through them. Mm -hmm. Then you have the fall, and it creates all this chaos and confusion in both men and women about the reflection of the the image of God. But, you know, this this idea of um, human beings living in community, you see it from Genesis chapter 2, and I really think you see it throughout the rest of the scriptures, these are just some of the passages where it might be highlighted. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, you know, um, the idea of two or three knitted together are stronger mm-hmm. than somebody simply uh, going about uh, their life alone. Uh, John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples that they would be one as he and the Father and the Son are one. And then his prayer continues in that passage, John chapter 17, of 
And my prayer is not just for my disciples, but my prayer is for those who will believe in their message Mm -hmm. as it passed down through the generations. And so he's saying, I'm praying that all of those who become Christ followers, that they would be one, the multiple, excuse me, the multiple would be active together in sharing the journey of, you know, oneness. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 uh, Paul talks about you know Jews and Gentiles being reconciled through the power of the gospel that God was creating. He calls it one new man, one new community, one new humanity, an expression of redemption at work in human beings in the multiple, you know, in the many. Um, James chapter five, you know, um, if if sin is a part of your life, uh, confess it to the church, confess it to a community of people so that you may be healed. That's in keeping with the design of community and authenticity and transparency that as we're more honest and open with the struggle, then the power of the community can help with the healing process. Okay. Um, Galatians chapter 6, if your brother or sister's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, you who are in a healthy place, restore them. That's that's the activity of the community coming and being a part of that. Uh, we talk about First Thessalonians 5, you know, these several different expressions of like how the church is to be involved in each other's life. If you're um, weak, come along and support them in strength. If they're troublemakers, confront them, show them that their uh, behavior is having an uh, impact on the unity of the body. So these very specific ways that the New Testament talks about the church, members you know, of the body being actively involved mm-hmm. with each other in spiritual journey. And then, you know, two, two really classic passage, passages, uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you're at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your altar there, uh, leave your gift at the altar, and go and reconcile with your brother because that's a dynamic of spiritual health and spiritual vitality is being right with your brothers and your sisters. Mm-hmm. Then you go to Matthew 18. If, you know, somebody has something against you, you go to them privately, and if you can't work it out privately, you get some others to come along and try to encourage and nurture reconciliation. So it's just, it's just very communal sort of um, expression of what I think redemptive community looks like. And then my favorite passage, I think, is one of the great ones for this idea of very communal kind of dynamic is Hebrews chapter 10. And we talk about, you know, um, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Like, it's important that we get together. And I love the, the phrase, it's something like, um, you know, putting, putting your heads together and thinking of ways to go about living out your love and your good deeds. So there's this sort of this huddle sort of dynamic of we're putting, getting our arms around each other and going, okay, so I, I, I need to love my wife better or I need to be better witness at work. Can you guys help me think through some ways that we could do that? So long story explanation of I think there's a communal dynamic to spiritual journey that to try to do spiritual life without that dynamic it's just it's not in keeping with the design therefore it won't work you know and I think because like everything you just described uh I guess 
infers that we need something from other people. Like, yes, to do a spiritual life, we need something from other people. But I, it's interesting. I've done some, I guess, just random reading. But um, if it, this is kind of morbid, but it wouldn't be me if it wasn't. Um, <laughs> there were these, uh, I guess. Um, what are the place where you go? I guess you take children whenever their parents are gone. Um, daycare, not a daycare, but like the parents are like gone, like they don't know where they are. Orphanage, uh, yes, orphanage. Goodness gracious, <laughs> there are these orphanages, and whenever they first started to pop up, I think particularly in maybe in Russia or Eastern Europe, they would they were everybody that was like two people that were there to take care of all these children uh, were just wondering like what is happening because all all of these young babies would just, like, die for no reason. Right. Um, they were given the food they needed, the water they needed, but they weren't given any kind of community and then no touch. Yeah. And it's like you can give a baby everything it needs to live, but if it's not touched, it will die, which I think is so weird, but it, it points back to this. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> we need it for spiritual things, but even just to survive, there's something that we need from other people. Um, we learn how to talk from listening to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, we know we learn things by listening to other people. Uh, yes, by doing, but um, there's something that we need from other people, and so yeah, I've always described um, the Christian faith as a high touch experience. Um, if you look at Jesus, how often he touches somebody to heal them, mm. he had the capacity to do it from a distance. Yeah. But oftentimes, you know, the, the father comes to him and my, you know, my son's dying. Take me to him. And then he touches, he lays hands on people. Um, I, you know, greet each other with a holy kiss. That's weird in our, you know, <laughs> COVID society nowadays. But yeah. in the first century, that was, that was such an intimate expression of connection. To be close to somebody in greeting them. And I, I just think there's a, there's a certain, and I don't want to sound weird about this, but there's a certain human warmth to a faith that draws people close to each other. Mm. I, think, I think God understands that we live in a pretty cold world. Yeah. And his design was to create something very warm and close intimate in all the right ways of people who really do know each other and appreciate each other and um, are fond of each other in, in the truest expression of I love you. Mm. I think, I think when a church enjoys that depth of sincerity to say to each other, I love you. And it's not just, you know, words it's there's meaning to that and the person connects with it and receives it and gives it back i i don't think there's a stopping that church i hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part discussion on redemptive community be sure to come back next wednesday for part two if you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CiboloCreek.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>